Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snudden. And I'm Rob Olson. We are back with another book review, as promised, uh, last episode. What did we do last episode? A goddamn mess. We did a mess yeah, last we episode. We talked about nothing. Yeah. I remember For that. For like an hour. <laughs> I feel like it wasn't as bad as I feel like it was, if that makes any sense. Um, anyway. I refused to listen. <laughs> so I don't want to relive any of that. So we're not going to put you through that again. We have a review uh, this this episode. We're going to be talking about uh, Give Me Your Hand by Megan Abbott. Um, here's a little bit about Megan. Or do you want to go into, we have a significant thing to talk about. It's a, it's an important day today. Do you want to talk about that first? Or do you want to kind of let that happen later? Let's let that happen. Let maybe right, people right. stick around to hear what important Ooh. day today is. Oh, yeah. Like, we'll say that thing. Coming up later, an important celebration. But for yeah, now, and, and stay tuned yeah. to find out what day today is. You'll never believe what day we're recording on. So here's a little bit about Megan Abbott. Um, I heavily edited this uh, bio for two reasons. First of all, it doesn't include some of the more recent information. And second of all, you don't have to list every award you've ever been nominated for. It's like two paragraphs of stuff I cut out. So Megan Abbott is the Edgar Award. See, I left an award in there. Winning author of seven novels, including Dare Me, the End of Everything, The Fever, and You Will Know Me. Her stories have appeared in anthologies including Detroit Noir, Queens Noir, and The Best American, the best American Mystery Stories of 2014. She's also the author of The Street Was Mine, a study of hard-boiled fiction and film noir. Born in the Detroit area, she graduated from the University of Michigan with a B.A. in English Literature and went on to receive her Ph.D. in English and American Literature from New York University. She lives in the Queens New York City. And, on a personal side note, we reviewed her book Dare Me in episode 104, which makes that 301 episodes ago. <laughs> so a crazy. long time ago. Oh yeah. My God. I remember, I know you listened to, recently listened um, to that episode again. I remember really liking that book. Am I accurate in saying yes. that? Yeah, we both um, heaped it with praise. Awesome. Well, we'll see. We'll see if this one gets heaped on with the same <laughs> praise. And here's the synopsis. A life-changing secret destroys an unlikely friendship in this magnetic psychological thriller from the Edgar Award-winning author of Dare Me. Kit Owens harbored only modest ambitions for herself when the mysterious Diane Fleming appeared in her high school chemistry class. But Diane's academic brilliance lit a fire in Kit and the two developed an unlikely friendship. Until Diane shared a secret... That changed everything between them. More than a decade later, Kit thinks she's put Diane behind her forever and she's begun to fulfill the scientific dreams Diane awakened in her. But the past comes rolling back when she discovers that Diane is her competition for a position both women covet, taking part in the groundbreaking new research led by their idol. Soon enough, the two former friends find themselves locked in a dangerous game of cat and mouse that threatens to destroy them both. Named one of the most anticipated books of 2018 by Cosmopolitan, Book Riot, and Entertainment Weekly. There you go. Yeah. You know, I wonder, like, do you think every publishing house just has the one person that writes the synopsis? Because they always have the exact same, like, what? formula. Like the hooks and stuff? Like, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Locked in a dangerous game of cat and mouse. That's got to be, just, like... Like a macro or whatever? Is that what you call it? Like you hit a key and it does something yes, special? Yep, yeah. Yep. It's got to be know like what? a macro. I think they need bylines. Like we should be able, because then we would actually <laughs> review the synopses um, with the person that wrote them. The I think we're going to start requesting. We, we're going to have to start requesting this information from publishers. Yeah. I wonder if that's like a job synopsizer. <laughs> synopsizer. I don't know. Maybe it is. Yeah. Then yeah, and then their bio somewhere is like they them and uh, in a in a book synopsis are locked in a dangerous. Oh game of god, Mouse. their bio is like just a list of like four hundred twenty <laughs> books they've written synopses for. They're like these are the ones I copy pasted. Yeah, nice. Yeah, this one, and I'll, I'm going to take since we're talking about the synopsis, I'm going to take issue a little bit um, with the accuracy of um, of some of this, and I'm not going to say. I'm just going to say that parts of the synopsis are are a little misleading as far as like the relationship between Kit and Diane. I agree. Yeah, but I don't want to. I take calling out specific details may spoil, may or may not spoil some stuff. But just it, it does. 
it misleadingly uh, ramps up some like action, which it doesn't need to because I guess there's no way to advertise. There's tons of tension in this book, but it's just not in the way that that they talk about it in the synopsis. I agree. Yeah. We'll start with a story structure. Um, this is one of those then then and now books. Um, but the thing I first thing I really like about Megan is she didn't try to masquerade that at all. The chapters are actually called then yeah. and now. So you know when it takes place. So there's none of that. Like you turn the page and you start reading. And you're like, oh, this is when they were kids. Right. Like that's the, the chapter heading for each one is like the number of the chapter um, along with a then or a now. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So the then is, um, uh, so I guess the other thing about story structure we need to know is that the entire book is from the perspective of Kit Owens. So, um, that's important because a lot of the tension in this book, um, that builds later on in the story has to do with the fact that we only know what Kit knows about what's going on. And so, um, what we're seeing is that then is Kit's, uh, teenage years, like, um, you know, from, I want to say maybe 14, 15 years old. And then a little bit later on, like toward the end of high school, um, that's the majority of the then years. And the now years are for what is her, what is her present day when she's, um, in, she's a post-grad, right? No, she's already Mm -hmm. got her PhD. What is it? Yeah, she's a post-grad. Yeah. Um, working in a lab and, um, the whole, uh, the lab, the time frame that we're looking at is leading up to the announcement of um, uh, this uh, doctor, Lena Severin. And uh, she's got this project that they, they were trying to do funding for. And like they're anticipating the announcement of what that, you know, who's going to be involved and what that's going to look like. So the days of the now part are um, the immediate days leading up to the announcement of what happened with Dr. Severin's thing and who's going to be chosen to work with her on that project and a lot of this book in the now um kind of looks at like i don't want to say the structure but really kind of the structure of of their their group of people who work in the lab so there's a lot there even though the the head honcho is a woman she's rather distant um from the from the postgrads and the people who work there um but it's uh it's Kit and then just a bunch of dudes, like six dudes yeah. that, that are vying <laughs> for, for these um, two positions that will uh, that will be open to research um, PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Um, so this is, uh, as you may have guessed by the name, something that affects uh, women uh, before they they have their before they start their menstrual cycle. I guess would probably be. I don't know. <laughs> This is woman's stuff. I don't know any of this stuff. I'm just going to sit back and let you wade into the science of this fiction story. Um, well, the idea is in, in like the bluntest terms, like um, they're trying to tie um, extreme uh, behaviors to uh, like the menstrual cycle of women, like um, in like in cases where I think what was the one, this is the one that stood out for me is they were, it was, um, this woman had uh, her her she was doing something, and her boyfriend kept like bothering her about something mundane or whatever. And then like she just he couldn't freaked. find his phone. Yeah, couldn't find his phone. That's what it was. Thank you. And he kept bothering her about it. And then like suddenly she just threw a frying pan at her and like just caved his skull in. So like those types of things that like are completely out of character for a person um, that happen uh, in tandem with. And so like that woman, that example they gave. Not long after, I think it was when the police were questioning her or something is when her period started. So, like, they were trying to tie these extreme and uncharacteristic, like, violent or, you know, dangerous behaviors with something to do with, like, your hormonal whatever when when you're about to get your period. Mm -hmm. We're going to skip around in the story a little bit um, so you kind of understand what's going on. So... As they're waiting for the um, the, the post grads to to be assigned to this project that everyone's vying for, um, it's announced that Diane from then, um, who also is a scientist but somewhere else, has agreed to come join their program. So this is a, a little bit of really what sets off Kit on her you know uh, 
remembering the past in in the way that she does throughout the course of the story. And that's kind of how we see her high school, her late high school years. Yeah. So um, we'll lay a little groundwork for the friendship or the, the I guess, you know, the, the familiarity of, of Kit and Diane. In the then years, um, Kit was introduced as this very kind of like precocious child who... Um, uh, I guess not very precocious. That's the interesting thing. A really bright kid who never really set her sights too high. Um, and, uh, you know, in a random gathering of, of girls that included Diane, um, shared, like they were sharing like real personal stories. And, and that's how Diane kind of, uh, I want to say she kind of like latched on to Kit in a way. And, um, there they kind of developed a friendship uh so like they had a brief interaction at like some camp or something and then they didn't see each other for a couple of years dan ended up going to kit's school high school and that's when they remembered each other from this camp experience which was very brief and fleeting but had some significant like you know weight to it um kit and diane in high school diane realized how smart and and capable kit was and encouraged her and kind of fueled the flames of like her passion for science and stuff like that as diane was also very adept at at science and math and all those things so they kind of became like the top of the school and they kind of drove each other to work harder and harder it's a weird friendship because kind of even kind of later into the book a little bit as we're looking at the then you know, she says, makes a comment about how it was one of the first times that Diane opened up about something to her. Yeah. At that point, you're like, they spent a lot of time together, but it seems like they were more um, collaborators uh, than friends. I don't mm-hmm. even know if that's the right word. But yeah, like you said, they were kind of yeah, driving like one another. Yeah, yeah with, with less of an emotional attachment on, on the friendship part. Right. Um, so yeah. both of these stories obviously come to a head at some point. Diane comes... Um, to work in the lab and again as we're kind of waiting to hear you know what's happening uh you know with this this um this grant and this program you know we we see a little bit of the other relationships that kit has with other people in the lab yeah and um as it may be obvious by now that we're really being careful of what we say and it's because this is the kind of book where um much like i said earlier we only know what kit knows you the entire like weight and and um you know uh what's the word i'm looking for like everything about this book hinges on you not knowing until you're supposed to know so that's why we're being very careful but one thing i will say is even in the synopsis it says in the then time diane shared a secret that changed everything between them so like you know kit at some point in the then time the earlier time high school found out something about diane that really stuck with her. And as you can guess, it's probably not like, oh, Diane secretly was like the second coming of Jesus. It was something not good. Um, and so that kind of, that knowledge really taints the uh, reappearance of Diane in the now time. Like uh, everything's going fine. Kit's, Kit's, you know, pretty confident about what she's doing and she's hopeful she's going to get one of these spots in. Dr. Severin's, um, you know, new project. And then Diane shows up before the results are announced of who's going to be working. And like that throws everything off. And then like Livia said, on top of that, like shit starts to come to a head with all of that. And and there's just a lot of stuff that's, you know, dredged up from the past. Plus um, some crazy shit goes down in the present day. I'd like to take a moment to say that it happens a lot more smoothly in the book. Then either you or I are able to portray because well, yeah. it sounds like a hot mess when we're talking about it. So <laughs> um, it is delivered well in in the book. So there are a couple characters of note um, that we should mention. Uh, so we've talked about Kit and Diane. Lena Severin is a uh, you know, Rob put down here, legendary scientist, and, and she is to a certain extent, but. 
she's a key figure from the then because she was a big deal that they both looked up to um, while they were in high school when they were kind of plotting their paths to, you know, science, uh, scientific greatness, you know, as they were trying to make their way into into science. And there's even like a scholarship that she gives out, you know, so she's a key figure from the past that, again, figures very prominently in the future. And then, like I said, there are a slew of uh, male postgrad scientists, um, only two of them really worth mentioning. Um, Alex, uh, who kind of goes back and forth. Uh, there's a lot of flirtation between him and Kit um, at the beginning and ongoing through the story. And then uh, Serge, who isn't a postgrad, <laughs> but he's, he's a lab um, tech. He's a lab tech, but he's worked with Dr. Severin the longest. And, and he's a very grounded, um, he's kind of like, I don't know, like like the, the office sage. You know, like he sees things for what they are. And he has like great knowledge about things. Do you get that impression? Like he's, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, so even though he's really separate from the group, this is someone that Kit is close with. And she goes to visit um, frequently for, you know, advice and, and just kind of someone to talk to. Plus, she likes seeing all the animals and stuff he works with. Yeah, and the Surge character, um, like, the thing that really defined his character for me, um, because we see all these lab people, and they're all looking at this Dr. Severin um, thing that's coming up as, like, their their opportunity to have a big break. And they're all, they're really, like, very focused on success and where they are in their careers and making a big splash and everything. And this Surge guy is just, like, he takes care of the mice, and the animals that are, you know, used in the experiments and stuff. And he doesn't have that kind of drive for glory. He just likes to do the work that he does. And there was, I'm not going to remember the exact line, but he said something along the lines of like, um, the lab techs are the ones who like take care of these test animals and stuff, like get rid of them, kill them basically. And, and dispose of them, um, so that the other people don't have to see it. Or something like that. And so basically he's like, he's this guy who loves animals and everything, but he also kills and disposes of them so that the people who are doing this important work don't have to be impacted by like how fucked up it is that they're just killing all these animals in the name of research. So I thought that was a really good example of like what his character was supposed to be. Two more characters I'd like to mention, um, because I think that. I mean, within the story, but definitely even outside the story are really some some well-written relationships are um, Kit and Diane's mothers. Yep. Um, each one of them has a mom, but they're very, very different. So um, just very quickly, um, Kit is raised. Uh, dad's kind of around, but he's in and out of trouble. So really raised by by her mom full time with dad popping in and out if he's not in jail or out on some you know wild goose chase, you know, make himself rich kind of scheme. And uh, Diane's mother, um, who is divorced from her father, um, but she is uh, she has moved on to greener pastures. She's really putting herself out there to try to to make something better of of her next relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Diane is very close with her mother, but her mother is uh, frequently more interested in the guy she's dating. Yeah, than, she's very selfish. Yeah, than in than in Diane. Where on the flip side. Uh, Kit's mom is, uh, you know, is, is, is probably a little too lenient. Maybe she wants to be Kit's friend more than she should. Mm-hmm. I got that impression, but I think that both of those relationships, um, were, were really well-written. And like I said, you know, how impactful are they to the actual story? I, you know, I don't know, marginally, I think. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think that they were, they were really well-written. So just wanted to mention those two as good characters. And and it's definitely written in a way where it's supposed to show you what their home life is and what their home life, how their home life impacts their ambition and then, like, you know, their success in life. Like, Kid's mom has always been, like, very idle. Um, like, a, a good mother who just doesn't, like you, like you were saying, too lenient. She doesn't really, like, push Kit at all. Um, and so she doesn't really kind of zero in on the potential that Kit has and which causes Kit like, you know, our impression of her when she was younger is like, oh, you know, I'll become an uh, an, uh, an accountant or, or something like that just because like it seemed like something to do. She never had that like deep, like fiery ambition for, for something greater until Diane came around. So um, Kit's mom definitely had an impact on Kit's life as 
is not good enough of an influence. Um, whereas uh, Diane's family, there was this whole thing back and forth about where they're like her mom and her dad were almost fighting to not have custody of her in a way, which, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, one, they were kept trying to, it's not like it wasn't so overt, but like basically you got the feeling that like each of them would feel more comfortable if the other parent was, was taking care of her. Um, especially Kit's mom, or I mean, Diane's mom with her, with her new boyfriend and everything. Was well, trying yeah, to, like, she's, yeah, I, I think the dad was okay. Just wasn't comfortable having like a relationship with her. Right. He wasn't ready to be a dad. Yeah. And the mom. And so I, I don't think he was like trying to get away from her. I think he just didn't know how to be a dad where the mom right. was definitely trying to, to scoot her away so that she could further her, her relationship with, with the new boyfriend. Well, there was a couple of, there was a couple of little things with Diane's dad where, um, uh, I think there was one part where, uh, it was very, it was, it made a lot of sense why, why she wrote this, but like the dad under his breath said something like, um, you, you need to be here. And then under his breath, he says until like she screws up with this, this new guy or something like that, implying that once the relationship with, the mom's boyfriend inevitably fails. The mom's going to take Diane back. So like he didn't even have much faith in her being around very long. Mm-hmm. So, right. And it didn't seem to like bother him. Like he wasn't going to fight to keep her. So, well, we talked a little lot more about that than I thought we were going to, I guess that's the less <laughs> spoilery stuff, right? Like that's relationship the, yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, um, as Livia said, the, the Lena Severin character, um, has an important, um, role in the then time and the now time, because um, she was the kind of original inspiration. Diane and Kit had both like separately um, become inspired by this woman through like, I think a lecture that they both attended or, or something similar in both of their lives. They'd seen her and they had just been inspired by her Diane in a more active way where she decided this is what I want to do. And Kit in a more passive way where she was like, Oh, that was really cool. But then never did anything about it. Um, so it's cool to see throughout the then time and the now time how big of an influence this person had and um, how that continues to carry through almost the entire book. And that's all we're going to say about the plot. Yeah, it's more than I thought we were going to. I was like, yeah. I was like halfway through this book and I was like, we're going to spend about eight minutes talking about this and then we're going to jump yeah. to spoiler talk. And I just want to stress in case I, we forget um, when we come back from spoiler talk, there are a lot of things that are a lot more intricate about this story that we didn't touch on at all. As a matter of fact, Rob even threw out what I would call misdirection at one point. I don't even think he did it intentionally. <laughs> like You said something and I was like, that's so far from true. <laughs> but that's OK, because anything other than that is really spoilery. Right. So um, yeah. we're going to hop over to spoiler talk because there's some intricacies that I'd like to talk about. And I really want to know what Rob thought about the ending of this book. So mm-hmm. if you're a Patreon contributor at the $1 per month or more level, uh, you're able to go over and listen to what I likely will be 10 or 15 minutes of us uh, talking slash discussing slash arguing about things in this book. Um, and if you're not, um, it's super easy to do so. You go to patreon.com slash book. You contribute $1 a month. You will instantly gain access to the spoiler talk we're doing tonight and every previous spoiler talk. And stay tuned later for an important announcement about an extra bonus thing that you will get if you are a Patreon contributor. All right, everybody. We're back from what I find to be a very productive uh, uh, spoiler talk over on Patreon. So, Livius and I spent, I'm going to guess it's got to be 20, 25 minutes talking about like all of the spoilery stuff of this book, which is probably most of it, and really working together to work through some of what we thought about it. Um, it's probably one of the more useful, um, in-depth kind of researches, researches, um, not the right word, in-depth looks at, at, at the spoiler stuff, at like the meat of the book. So if you've read it, I definitely recommend going over and listening to that. Um or if you don't mind it being spoiled, like every now and then I'll just like, I'll watch a spoiler review of a movie or something. Cause I know I'm not going to watch it or I don't care if it's spoiled and I just do it anyway. Yeah. This doesn't happen all the time, <laughs> but I really felt like I feel like, cause it just happened. But you know, while we were doing the spoiler talk and then even now I keep thinking to myself, like, I wonder if I had 
um, for a lot of books that I've, I've loved in my life or, or even ones I didn't. Maybe if I had someone to like kind of be forced to talk it out with, if I would have a, diff- <laughs> I have a slightly different opinion of this book than I did yeah. um, before we started this review. So, um, you know, overall, it didn't change, how you know, that, that I like the book or, or, or whatever, but I, I have a different outlook at it. So we're going to cover that. And I guess what I'm trying to say is what everybody should do is get a co-host, read books and then talk whoa, about whoa. them. <laughs> I thought you're going to say go to Patreon and give us money because. Right. But I'm saying that's... for books that people read, like, I feel this is important. And quite yeah. honestly, we know what's going to happen. If another book podcast pops up, I said book, not booked. Yeah. Book down. podcast box up. They've got maybe a year in them and then they're going to go away like most other book podcasts do. So I'm not concerned about that. Um, I just think that there's an important <laughs> thing that develops when you have a book that's that's well written um, where, where maybe bouncing ideas off somebody or maybe you miss something. You miss tying that one critical or, yeah. or maybe even not critical. Maybe maybe, you know, some tertiary piece of information that really kind of changes your outlook on it. So like we talked earlier about the relationships between the moms and the daughters in this, right? Like. You know, is it is it important a story? Sure, because without those people, they aren't who they would be, right? But like, there's some really good stuff there that exists somewhat outside the story we're seeing today, and and really, um, having a good conversation around that can help shape the way you look at the at the story, or at least the characters a little differently. Yeah, I never thought in my entire life, I never thought I would ever join a book club because it just sounds so like kind of goof like getting together once a week and talking about like oh we read this chapter let's talk about <laughs> holy shit does your comprehension of a story just like skyrocket when you just talk about it it's pretty yeah. wild reading is a very um solitary thing i mean you yeah. can't just like sit down with your buddy and read a book like you would uh, see a movie <laughs> or watch a sporting event or go to a concert right. right like you and i do it sort of yeah, um, but most people don't have that. So, all right, maybe instead of starting a podcast, go to a book club. I just always feel like those book clubs are like over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about this book. And I'm like, fuck, man, I give a book yeah. exactly seven days. Like, that's that's what you yeah. get out of me for if you're a book <laughs> and that's discussion included. And yeah, there's got to be like a power, like an accelerated book club. I don't know. <laughs> like, you got to find the book club that um, matches your your pace, I guess. Yeah. But for us, it's like 40 books a year. I sure. think was, was is the goal pace at least. Yeah. Anyway, um, all of that to say that there was a lot of really good conversation. And I know we say that because like we're trying to get Patreon money out of you or whatever, but there was really productive conversation about spoiler content in this book that I think everybody could benefit from. So, um, a dollar a month, man. It's just, I mean, nothing, nothing in the world costs you a dollar a month. Nothing. In an effort to pull Rob out of this terrible shilling that he's doing. <laughs> um, I want to say before we go to wrap ups that um, and this did not this did not change because of our spoiler talk at all. <sighs> this woman can write. Holy shit. And I don't mean the story. So I'm going to this is going to go a little bit into my wrap up because some things came to light. Like I thought, like, this is an OK story that's driven by fan fantastic writing um and i have just a couple of examples and i'm not going to do a full out like you know quotes section you know like we used to do um at one point um i don't think this is a little spoilery diane's mom um had had a a few uh, miscarriages so i'm going to read just a little bit about diane talking about that Um, She said she went a little crazy and thought for sure the baby was coming back. She kept buying presents for her weeks after. They were all girls, all named Diane. She says they were all trying to become me until I became me. Yeah, that fucked me up. Holy shit, that's some amazing (laughs) writing right there. I mean, you know, I'm dumbing it down just by by saying it out loud, like in my voice, right? Like it's it's there's another there's another line where they're talking about um, uh, kid is doing Diane's mascara and she said it seemed wrong, like layering kitchen sludge on angel wings. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing, amazing stuff. And I mean, it, it, it's throughout the whole book. I don't know how many things I've Hold highlighted. On. It's more highlighting than I've done in a book in years. I've got so. one to compliment. I think this fits into what you're saying. Um, 
it's it's I think it's a photo of Diane and her mom that Kit sees, and she's kind of thinking about it. There was something in the snapshot, edges curling, a thumb smudge on one corner from so much touching that made me sad. I wondered if Diane's mom looked at it half as much. Yep. Fucking hell. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, reading this book, I was like, this story's okay. Like, I don't feel really that emotionally attached to the story, right? But holy shit, I I could read this, you know, on and on because it's written just so beautifully. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's consistent. That's not like every now and then she's got a zinger. That's the whole book. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. So I just wanted to touch on that before we go into our uh, our wrap ups. I'm gonna, I'll do the wrap ups first. I think I'll sure. give you a little minute to collect yourself because you were getting all passionate up there on your soapbox. Um, dude, we loved Dare Me, so I went back and I, I listened to our review of Dare Me, which was episode 104, for anybody who's brave enough to go back and and listen to something that happened, what, five years ago now? Six years ago? Probably about that, yeah. Uh, um, and we really enjoyed Dare Me. Uh, so I knew that I was coming into a book that was going to be well-written, that it was going to be um, kind of like exemplary of, of good contemporary literary fiction and God damn it. She just fucking knocked that out of the water. I don't even like, I know I really loved dare me like enough to the point where if I really enjoy a book, we get a lot of our books electronically. And then if I really enjoy a book, I go and I buy it after the fact just to have it in my bookshelf. And dare me is one of those books. It's on my bookshelf because I liked it so much when I read it that I went out and I bought it because she deserves it. I guess if that makes sense, that sounds a little weird. Like, (laughs) I guess there's, like people, she's so happy that it's on your bookshelf. She's like, "Oh, finally, yeah. I made it on Rob's bookshelf." But like, I mean, there's a lot of books we read that I just never give a second thought to, um, and this one, I went and I went and I bought, um, which I'm sure I'm going to do with this one as well. <laughs> anyway, that's a weird way to start. I've been drinking the barley wines tonight, so I'm a little bit ooh. But anyway, I knew I was coming into a book that was going to be well written, and um, that was going to be. A, a gripping kind of story that kept me in it for the whole thing. And goddamn, if it didn't do way more than that, we've talked a lot about what we could. And in spoiler talk, we talked about literally everything. And this book just blows me away. I'm not even going to talk about the gender of the thing because, like, the obvious thing to talk about in this is the fact that it's very focused on women and, um, like, struggles that are very uniquely woman. But that doesn't matter at all. Like, it could have been written about anything. It is so good. The plot is so well-crafted. The characters are so real that um, it just, it's a blow away. It'll blow, it'll blow anything away. It's a great book, and I really enjoyed it. Our spoiler talk will kind of show you what I thought was so magical about it. Um, but I really think this is the kind of book that you, you need to go into uh, fresh to really get the full effect of it. So I'm not going to say much about it, but Megan Abbott knocked this one out of the water. We all expected her to. So I'm giving this five stars. I, while I was reading this book, going to be really honest. I thought this is a good book, but I really love the writing. And in my head, I was already starting to formulate the review for this. Like, good story, great writing. This is probably going to come in around like four stars, which is pretty goddamn good, right? Mm-hmm. But then after the story closed out and without spoiling anything, you know, I, I uh, you know, I thought about tomorrow. I was like, yeah, this is actually like pretty good. And then in talking to Rob and really hashing <laughs> out some of my thoughts, I have moved from this is good to this is pretty good to this is really fucking good. Like that's that's my review now. This is my wrap up. This book is really fucking good. Um, I think what Rob said was uh, was right. I was uh, I was a little concerned um, early on, because we have female protagonist, female antagonist, we have the matriarchy in the in the scientist, and they're studying um, premenstrual disorders. And I was like, I'm, I'm I may just from my limited point of view in the world have some trouble with uh, with some of this. And you know what? I didn't because the characters are so well crafted, and because their stories are really well told, and it doesn't hurt that it's really beautifully written. So. Rob mentioned the gender of this story, and I thought to myself, like, I forgot all about that. I was worried about that. I'm like page 20, yep. and I hadn't given it another thought, even through the course of this review. I have not given the the fact that 
every key character in this book is a woman um, and, and that the the story, um, the today story surrounds a, a very female issue, right? Like I didn't until you said it, it didn't even recur to me that that's what I had read. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yep. So, um, yeah, I was uh, I'm really, really impressed. I did, and I'm going to stick to what I said in the in the um, spoiler talk, which I can't repeat here. But Rob did not change my mind on the placement of a certain mm. um, thing that happened in the book. Mm-hmm. I still think that the book would benefit from that, but I, I can't. I can't even take away stars for that because ultimately, it, it, it Rob's right on point. This is another uh, another five star book. Yeah, buddy, Megan Abbott killing it, and um, I think we're not the only ones that are recognizing that. It's a nice segue. You like that? I really set yeah. that up. That was what a, Rob's saying is, had it was a had softball early. tossed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If we would have had, um, you know, an arc copy of this two or three months ago, perhaps we would have purchased the TV rights to it. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can't. How many times is that the case where we're like, oh, if only we could have bought the, if only we could have optioned this. If only we would have known yeah. when the auction was, right? Yeah. Yeah. We could have taken all that Patreon money and owned a property. Yeah, and then done nothing with it, and been like, "Well, wouldn't it have been great if we once, if we did yeah. something with this?" Yeah, 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 exactly. So, Rob is referring to is uh, an article that he shared with me called "Is Megan Abbott Hollywood's Next Big?" Sorry, novelist. it's blocked. Yeah, novelist. <laughs> no, the the little today. Never mind. Where I had it in slash trying to read it without having the article open. At any rate, is Megan Abbott Hollywood's next big novelist? Well, the answer apparently is yes. Because she now has three properties in development, including the one that we just got done reviewing. Yeah. So give me your hand. It looks like um, is it was was picked up by AMC. Is that one of mm-hmm. the TV? This is weird because like I remember reading this article and knowing some of it was TV, some of it was movies. Uh, yes. I don't remember which one. Give me your hand was. Um, um, AMC is give me your hand, which AMC does. Um, you yeah, know, the they did, like dead. Walking Dead and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Breaking I, Bad. I, I just don't remember. Uh, let's see. Dare Me is currently in production with USA being held also by TV. Steph Green, who did The Americans, which is, I mean, that show went like eight seasons. I don't know. It's still going, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. And she's working with, um, oh, and, and the other thing is she got picked up to do writing gig for The Deuce, right? Yep. On HBO, which is a TV show. Which I haven't checked out yet, but now fucking of course I'm going to. And it was um uh that's the one that's got the guy um David Simon from The Wire involved. So anyway, I guess the point is the stuff that she's writing is getting picked up for either TV or movies, and she's getting picked up as a writer now for for film or or TV, which is something that she'd never done before. So um Livius off off offline before we started this kind of floated an idea by me, which kind of makes sense um and and i'm glad that megan abbott may be picking up on on this is like jillian flynn with gone girl and everything that happened since then she's kind of the it person right now she's doing that sharp objects thing um like people are like studios might be like oh we need another jillian flynn who do we have and like megan abbott might have been one of the names that came up so if that's the case Man, I mean, that's a really, really good choice. Yeah, it's interesting to me. Um, Megan might have to uh, might have to rethink this because two of the we've read two of the three properties that were picked up. Yeah. And uh, both of them are rather closed ended stories. Mm, I see what you're saying. (laughs) Which not conducive um, to series. No, and that's cool because, you know, you could take a, a thing and, and, you know, if you're, if you're doing AMC, you know, that, that's that's not um, like ABC where, where the expectation is 22 um, episode seasons. Right, every year. They'll yeah. do like the little eight episode season. So maybe drag one of these books out to two seasons, but that's tops, right? 16 episodes to get through this book. Um, yeah, she may want to look at doing something a little more open ended down the way. Yeah, but I mean, at, at least this opened the door for if she's on the deuce now. Like, you know, she's also writing for TV and, and stuff mm-hmm. now, so she could sure. get picked up on other series. Um, she could be doing a Sharp Objects thing with Jillian Flynn, because we know she did that, what, Vanity Fair piece, where she interviewed uh, Jillian Flynn? Yep. Yeah. So she's kicking the door open to uh, 
to Hollywood, it would be nice to see her as as a next big novelist, as Entertainment Weekly is asking. Yeah, she's definitely talented enough. Yeah, dude. It's I mean, like we see it's such garbage. Like she's not Stephanie. What's her name? Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> but hey, listen, can't argue with Stephanie Meyer and how many books she sold. Well, all right, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I mean we all know your stance is like anything that gets people reading. Blah blah blah. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, I was, what was I watching recently? This is totally off. off this. Oh, I uh, was asked by a youngster to put on um, a TV show called, is it Hater, Haters Gonna Hate, Fighting the Haters? Something, it's on Netflix with haters in the title. Uh, okay. Oh, this, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I watched a full episode and then probably like 15 minutes of another episode. And I suddenly started thinking... I could fucking write for TV because this is utter fucking garbage. You know what I mean? But someone got picked yeah. up. So what I'm saying is, you know, if you're a writer, then go one of two ways. You can hone your craft and be a just a brilliant writer like Megan Abbott. Um, or you could throw together something that's pretty easily digestible and cute and be Stephanie Myers. And ultimately, the reward is the same now. Will Stephanie Meyer be held in the same regard, or is she held in the same regard today as Megan Abbott? Not by me. No. <laughs> but ultimately, Stephanie Meyer doesn't give a fuck what either one of us think. Neither does Megan Abbott, because they're both doing doing their thing and, and, and being very successful at it, even though they're two very different things. They're Yeah, on different sides of that spectrum. Yeah, and I guess like that's the thing. Um, there's always going to be that quality um, uh, versus... like. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Popularity thing. Mm-hmm. There's no correlation between how good something is written and how much people will enjoy it. And anybody who thinks that's the real reality is just lying to themselves. Like you can write absolute garbage and just have a huge fan base and you could write the best things in the world and no one will care that you wrote it. And it's, is it fair? No, I'm, maybe not. Maybe yeah. it's reality. Like if you don't, understand your audience you're never going anywhere indeed i have two ways i can go from this conversation i'm going to go with one that's going to surprise (laughs) you a little bit speaking of being popular but not high quality i watched uh, a movie that you have recently touted Uh numerous times on the podcast uh this makes me very nervous is it scott pilgrim versus the world no i watched baywatch Oh, you watched... Ba- oh, this is interesting. All right, this is interesting, so... I was asked to find some uh, newer films that could be consumed by a wider audience of people. And uh, <laughs> I'm looking at, like, Baywatch, I guess, right? Like, it's yeah. kind of funny, and it's kind of mainstream and whatever. Um, yeah, what a terrible movie that was. Oh, no. It was just awful. I just wanted to throw that out there. I was going to tell you before the podcast, I watched Baywatch, and I did not really enjoy it. Now, I will say that um, Alexandra Daddario, mm-hmm. and um, and I forget the girl's name who plays CJ. I don't know her name. I don't yeah. Um, yeah, they were, they, they, there's some value there. But other than that, not a whole lot. You weren't you weren't entertained by any of the no. like the little jokes. I like there? the David Hasselhoff appearance. That that was that was pretty right. good. So it was lost on you. All right, all right. Yeah, good to, good to I mean there was I mean there's some some okay one liners. Uh, like I liked how um, the Rock kept calling that guy like in sync and one direction it's on the block yeah, yeah. and one direction. Like that that was like I was like all right that's that's chuckle worthy you know. But yeah, other than that, no, not not a whole lot going on in there. So that's but again that Baywatch movie probably made millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> You didn't like that little Mitch thing in the in the. All right. Yes, that was tank. also. Yes, especially how it changed. Yeah, that's but, yeah, fucking great, yeah. right? Yeah, that was good. That yeah. was very good. I'm, I'm, I'll give I'll give it full credit. That was really funny. Little Mitch was one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and God damn it, two full hours. It's a it's a it's a significant movie. Like it has, it. I can't I can't say it has a, a complete plot, but it tries to, really hard. <laughs> Yeah, it's so cheesy, and I know <laughs> I know it's purposely cheesy. I get yeah. it, but sometimes that doesn't make it better. I think there should be like a subreddit called "Watched It for the Rock," because like, aside from you know ogling Alexandra Daddario, which I think anybody who's listened to more than one episode of this knows that you know I think she's like fucking perfection. Yeah, 
Like, really, it's The Rock that carries that whole thing. And, like, the fact that they were so, like, consistently verbally abusive to Zac Efron didn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, the other direction I was going to go, speaking <laughs> of great writers, um, we'll tell you right after these commercial messages. I'm kidding. Uh, this is what we teased at the top of the at the yeah. top of the episode. Rob, tell folks what magical day today is. So we're recording on July 22nd, which is a Sunday, but the the day of the week doesn't matter. What matters is the date, because if you if you wind your calendar back to July 22nd, 2013, that's the publication date of the book anthology. Which, if you ask me, as a publisher and editor of the book anthology. It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> kind of a big deal. It is the first book published and edited by people on this podcast. <sighs> first and only so far. Well, that's all I said. I said first, yeah. like I left the door open. What were you talking about last week about us writing? Was it our memoirs about the podcast? <laughs> I don't know. This doesn't sound familiar at all. No, last was it last <laughs> week or two weeks ago? <laughs> we were talking. It might have even been off air. We were talking about something. And I was like, ooh, I like that idea. You were like, oh, great. <laughs> so it was something, maybe it was no, in a message. Maybe while know. you talk about the book anthology, I'll find this message. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember where this was. So for anybody who's new to the podcast, I'm just going to point out, you may not be aware, as a podcast, we published in 2013 an anthology, which is a collection of, in the print edition, which I have in my hand right now, 25 stories. And I'm just going to go through the actual pain of reading all of the names of the authors for you, uh, because I can. It's my podcast. I do whatever the fuck I want to. Fred Venturini, Craig Clevenger, Cameron Pierce, Paul Tremblay. Yes, the Paul Tremblay who wrote Cabin at the End of the World, which we did recently. Caleb J. Ross, Seth Harwood. Again, someone we've had on recently. Craig Walwick, Mark Rapox, T.W. Brown, Joshua Allen Deach, Axel Tayari, Nikki Gurlane, Matthew C. Funk, Nick Corpon, Richard Thomas, Amanda Gowan, Bob Pastorella, Kevin Lynn Helmick, Gordon Highland, Sean P. Ferguson, David James, David James Keaton, Christopher Dwyer, Anthony David Jakes, Chris Deal, and Michael Paul Gonzalez, uh, with an introduction by me, an afterword by Livius, and in the digital ebook version, uh, bonus stories by me and editor Paylivia. Yeah, super proud that we were able to put that together five years ago. Um, if I had a drink handy, I would uh, I would take a drink um, for the book anthology. But it's definitely one of the coolest things that I've ever been involved in. It's three hundred eighty four pages. It's a big book. It is a big book. It's yeah. a very pretty book. I have to get back on getting this thing signed because I have a bunch of signatures. But there's probably a bunch more I could uh, I could get maybe maybe in uh, twenty twenty at StokerCon. We'll see. So yes, uh, and what and what I learned from this project was that it takes what six to eight months to really put together a quality anthology, right? I would say that's about right. And uh, I mean, it's high quality. It's probably the best anthology you'll ever read. Um, it, it's really easy when you do a invitation only submission process instead of <laughs> you know yep. reading through. We didn't have to read through any slush because it was all you had to have been a guest on the podcast in order to be eligible to submit a story so it was a very narrow field especially considering five years ago we hadn't had nearly as many people on the podcast i mean jeffrey craner from welcome to nightville could have submitted a, a story you know two years later or whatever three yeah, years he later could have. Yep. yep um but um i guess one of the cool things i'll say is um craig Walwork earlier today um so for when you're reading this earlier on on the 22nd of july Posted, he's been posting a series of covers of books that he's been a part of. And I, I secretly believe he's stealing from our idea of posting pictures of books that have been signed to us. I don't know if I did I <laughs> conspiracy theory that to you. I love it, absolutely love it. I really he's, feel like he stole that idea from us. He's part of the globalists. I've, yeah, I've thought this a long time about Greg Walworth. globalist. Um, but he posted the cover of the book anthology and um, the the title page of his story today, which reminded me of one of the coolest things we did in this anthology, which I don't know who thought of this, but I really, really enjoyed it. Was it was you. Was it me? Was it really me? Or are you just yeah, saying Yes. That? No, no, it was you. Because <laughs> I don't Yeah, remember. I mean, definitely you. Who else would uh, bludgeon themselves with listening to 
how many interviews to <laughs> to get quotes. I mean, I know we split it up a little oh, bit, but there's sense. only there's only one glutton for punishment on this podcast, and it's you. All right, that all right, that makes sense. But um, there's so at the beginning of every story, um, before the actual like um, attributions of, of of name and story title, is a quote from that author from one of our episodes, and I. I had entirely forgotten, honestly, about that until Craig um, posted that. And I was like, man, that's a really cool idea because, like, it really ties the author into the podcast, which is, like, the whole whole purpose of the book. So I was really I was really enjoying going back through time and, and seeing some of the attribution or the quotes that we had from the different uh, episodes. I'm not ruling out. Um, the possibility of there being a sequel to the book anthology, I'm just going to say it's really <laughs> unlikely. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. The work is close to done because we've already got a digital file. We just erase the old stories. We pop the new stories in. It's just the editing that's going to be the thing. Very true. And getting a story from Jeffrey Craner uh, <laughs> and like Brian Evanson and some of the heavier hitting names. Yeah, there are some people who are uh, who are absent from this, but there are some people who just didn't um, couldn't get stuff to us in time too. So there are some other people that were yeah. eligible. Fucking Stephen Graham Jones. Yeah, uh, yeah. So um, I want to go back and say I sent Rob a link to a book that we will likely be reviewing here called Alice Isn't Dead. While we're talking oh, yeah. about Night Vale, right? Um, written by Joseph Fink. Um, and Rob replied with, we should write a book called booked <laughs> and I, in all caps on, I love that idea. And his response was shit. And then in my head, I, I, when I say a memoir, I remember what I was thinking was like, it would be like an action book, like an action adventure book about us making this podcast that would probably be filled with a lot of non, non-truth. So memoir is probably I the don't wrong. know, man. Like it's got, I mean, I'm not going to go ahead and say that this podcast has been like, uh, worthy of an action movie or anything, but there's been, it's got qualities to it. Like if you think about it, if you think back the entire, like seven years we've been doing this podcast, there's definitely naked women. There's, Mm -hmm. there's ghosts. Yep. There's almost, um, there's probably some celebrities. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's just been any deaths. That's probably the one thing that's, has there been any deaths? Uh, there, so. there was there was a death in a in a podcast that ran alongside us. That's true. There's been some. Um, there's definitely been drama, maybe some disappearances, a couple of blow ups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like there's enough action in there. I mean, I wouldn't be angling for this to be an action. <laughs> I, I would go for just like a straight memoir. <laughs> who would who would play you in this in this movie? Uh, I don't know. Who would play you? I don't know. I was too busy trying to think of who would yeah. play you. Well, I'd see if I could get Future Rob to play you. God damn it. No, I don't want Future Rob to have anything to do with this. <laughs> I'm ordering my shirt that says I'm not Future Rob yet. By the way, um, we were talking about shirts. Mm-hmm. There may be in the future for our listeners <laughs> a shirt that says I am not Future Rob yet. If you like that idea, reach out, let us know, and maybe we'll throw that up on the um, the God. booked this is gone. I'm chilling. I'm chilling so like crazy, right? Far off the fucking rails. Holy I don't even shit. Know what we're talking about anymore. Rob, happy bookversary. Yeah. Um, happy bookversary, man. Um, it's pretty wild to think that we published a book five years ago. It like is. Five it's crazy. years. It really means we haven't done a lot in the last, in right, the last yeah, five years. Yeah, our output has, uh, has dropped off significantly in the last five years. So I'll do an anthology too. Uh, okay. You want to do an anthology, anthology too? We'll have to talk about it. We'll talk about it. We'll see. What else? Um, I gotta get. We gotta get sober, Rob. Forget future, Rob. We gotta get Rob has been drinking. You're meandering, man. You're all over the place, <laughs> dude. I am as close to sober as you need me to be right now. <laughs> I'll do a fucking sobriety test. Feel sobriety. I'm, I'm touching my finger to my nose right now. <sighs> all right. Um. Next week, we're gonna read another book. <laughs> um, yeah, dude. I yeah, want to thank. So, I'm going to go right out ahead and say I want to thank Kent Gowrin, longtime friend of the podcast. Um, although we haven't had him on, uh, he is a writer. I, it's it's weird to explain because like he he was in that Shotgun Honey kind of world for a while, mm-hmm. um, but we haven't had like much direct interaction with his writing. But he's been a longtime friend of the podcast. Um, 
he posted a picture of this book when he got it. And I was like, holy shit, how did we not know about that? So that's how this started. Right. So it is the, um, I guess, the official autobiography of Andrew Dice Clay. Right? <laughs> I don't that think that's exactly. My... That's not what it did is? Did you not read Wait. the. What did I sign up for? The Original Adventures of Ford Fairlane, the Long Lost Rock and Roll Detective Stories. I, um, although being a fan of Dice Clay and and ultimately, of course, the movie uh, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, was not aware that that character was based on a number of short stories um, that were published in the New York Rocker and the L.A. Weekly in 1979 and 1980. That's, I guess, when they started being published. Yeah. Um, they are about Fort Fairlane, the rock and roll detective. So um, we have decided, really Rob decided, because he ordered a paperback. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, maybe I'll read this. But then it was like it wasn't available on Kindle right away. And I will say right now, minus one star from whatever I think for these two reasons. First of all, paid, well, I'm about to pay $14 for a goddamn Kindle book, which is absolutely ridiculous. <sighs> yeah, that's heavy. It's, Second, I asked Rob how many pages his book is, and he assures me it's 132 pages. Like, he has it physically in his hands. Yep. Um, but on Amazon, it's listed as 176 pages. So you feel ripped off. I feel totally ripped off. And paying $0.10 cents per page for a digital book? Yeah. Yeah, that's a little crazy. That being said, uh, we got to read the origin of uh, the character immortalized by Andrew Dice Clay in the movie The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Absolutely. I'm very excited about this. Um, I recently watched the movie. Did I tell you I watched the movie recently? No, you didn't. Yeah, I don't remember what brought it on. I, I uh, It must have come up somehow in my personal life, and I just randomly... So I use an Apple TV. That's my media kind of thing. And so, like, with Siri, you can just say, hey, search for blah, blah, blah. And um, I did. I searched for it, and I found out it was on one of the streaming things that I was paying for, Netflix or Hulu or whatever. And I was like, all right, well, this is my evening. And I watched that movie, and um, it's not good. But it's not. Oh, I mean, it's. Did I just break your heart a wonderful. little bit? That movie is wonderful. <laughs> I love that movie. I recently saw um, like a weird like the middle half of it um, because it was just on like HBO or Showtime. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I was flipping channels and it was on, and I left it on, but then had to leave or whatever. So it was probably in the last year that I saw like half of it. But I said it was like the weird like middle half, not. Yeah. The beginning or the end. So I guess to elaborate just a little bit, um, I think that most of my beef is with the acting, not with the actual story. Because I think I walked away thinking, wow, this has way more of a story than I like originally remembered it. Because I watched it when it came out when I was like a teenager or whatever. Um, because my friend John, our friend John, John Gatwood, friend of the podcast, um, probably watched it with me one time or something. Because um, he was a big fan of Andrew Dice Clay, who is the titular character Ford Fairlane in the movie. Um, and, and I didn't remember liking it that much, but um, isn't Vince Neil in it? Like, uh, or is it yes. Brett, Brett Michael? One of those. I believe band. it's, it's Vince Neil. Yeah. Yeah. As the guy who is in the band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, um, it's, it's, it's better than I remembered it to be, but it's still kind of like a little over the top, a little over the top for me. <laughs> Just a little bit. It's a little bit. <laughs> it's one of those movies uh, where like I'd be like if you were like oh yeah Paul Rubens played this one character I'd be like yeah I'm not surprised um, yeah that that also had um, you know I'm terrible with names right but it had uh, Robert England oh the guy who played Freddy Krueger yeah yeah, yeah you're right um, and it had uh, who's that guy that has like the longest running like Vegas show <laughs> the singer oh um, he's the one who plays the the villain ultimately the the bad guy. Why am I blanking on his name? Wayne Newton. Wayne yeah, Newton. Wayne Newton is in it. Yeah, I mean, it's got. Uh, I, I, now nah, I was gonna say Ed Harris, but it's not Ed. Uh, the guy who plays um, Al Bundy. That's it. That's it? uh. Oh, what is there's that guy's a, name? There's a lot of great Ed O'Neill. Um, Ed O'Neill. That's the one. Yep. Yeah. Lots of great stuff going on in that movie. So I know <laughs> I'm going to be. Re- I was already thinking about. It. I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to watch that movie. So. So we'll probably be talking about both, right? Um, yeah, likely. It's it's a pretty short, uh, mm-hmm. it's a pretty short book. So, um, yeah, that's what's coming up next. Uh, pretty exciting. And again, 
would not have hit my radar at all if Kent Gowron hadn't posted a picture, I think, on Instagram of his physical print copy of the book. Like, I, I saw that book. I, I think I texted Livius about it and then immediately ordered two copies because I sent one to our friend John um, because he's the one that made me watch the movie back in the day. Yep. That means I'm a good friend. I'm th- I was thoughtful for once. You were very thoughtful. Not towards me or anything, no, but towards somebody. That and that's really all that counts. Yeah, that one time. So, as always, thanks for listening. And, oh, as a bonus that we didn't mention, this is only for people who stayed on all the way till the very last minute. Um, we will be putting up an extra special bonus anniversary booked anthology episode over at Patreon.com. It is a, um, Rob, refresh my memory. It's, so it's a conversation yeah. you, Pela Via, and myself had, and it was only available to people who purchased the booked anthology. Yeah, so we did um, in inside the book. If you own the book, we we at the very end of the book after Livius's afterward, we put a URL in there for a special two part uh, uh, episode of booked that was just the three of us, Livius, uh, Pela, and me talking about just the process of making the book and stuff like that. And because of the restructuring of our our website and everything, I don't believe that you can get to that now. So it's not really currently available. So we're going to be putting it up on our Patreon as a bonus for anybody who is a subscriber right now. That's going to be the only place you can find it. Super exciting stuff. I'm going to be really honest. Um, I vaguely have a memory <laughs> of doing that. I may have to give that a listen tonight. We're going to talk um, a lot about commas, I think, in that one. Yeah. So I'm going to go subscribe <laughs> to Patreon because um, Rob has locked me out of the Patreon account. And now, essentially, if I want to hear anything that's on there, I have to have my own account. So join me in donating as little as one dollar <laughs> a month because that's all I'm giving to this fucking podcast. Wow. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Livia Snudden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.